Why do we work hard to solve small problems? Why do we reinvent ourselves and our clients over and over? And why are we giving away marketing strategy for free? It's time to bring home bigger paychecks. It's time to create the lifestyle we deserve and to make a greater impact. This is the Fractional CMO Show, and I'm Casey Stanton. Join me as we explore this growing industry and learn to solve bigger problems. Hey, it's Casey here, and welcome back to another episode. In this episode, I want to talk to you about how do you email a mailing list? It's kind of a crazy question. Um, So let me preface this by saying that technologically, sending email is very difficult, right? You might think, oh, you just go go to Gmail or, God forbid, Hotmail, and you can just send an email to somebody, right? Um, Sure, but like the underlying technology behind email is 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 tricky, right? Um, I've got a buddy uh, that is a chief technology officer. Um, he's one of my best friends. And he told me, he was like, honestly, Casey, sending email is exceedingly difficult technologically. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think of it kind of like eyesight. Um, it's kind of like a hallucination, right? It's kind of like a miraculous that we can actually see anything with our eyes. It's miraculous that like we can actually send emails. If you spend any time on internet forums where people talk about like self-hosting technology, they might do it, you know, in their own home because they want to have control of their own tech and have their own servers. Some people kind of dabble in trying to set up an email server and it is extraordinarily difficult, um, approaching impossible. Uh, Oftentimes, if they can get something set up for themselves or maybe for a small business, their own email server, um, that email server is like one spam complaint away from getting shut down, which is just kind of wild. So let's talk about sending email. Let's talk about the difficulty of it. So what's a use case for this? Here is a completely legitimate use case. You have a client that sells a digital product. And they partnered with a different company that has a great mailing list and their, um, you know, this, uh, this partner company did a big promotion and they said, you know, let, you know, let us mail your list, you know, you mail your list, we'll mail our list, we'll sell this thing together. And then in the end, we'll give you uh, the database of everyone who opted in and everyone who purchased. So your client says, great, let's do it. And they do exactly that. They send a bunch of emails to their mailing list, let's say through MailChimp or maybe something more robust, hopefully something more robust. Um, and they send it over to that sales page. And then that other company, um, they're sending all the emails out to their email list and sales are made, profits are split up. And in the end, your client gets a CSV, a comma separated variable file that has first name, email address, IP address, date of opt-in, that kind of stuff. They just get that file. And then your team is holding onto this file. And that file might be a thousand names or 5,000 or 10 or 40 or 50,000 names. Another way that you could get a list is, let's say you go to a conference and because you're a savvy fractional CMO, you say, I know you guys can just go scan badges of everyone that attends, right? We can have our booth and have our little badge scanner and capture all the people that walk by. But like, maybe I can ask the event organizer if I could just buy a list of all the attendees. And the event organizer says, no, we don't do that. And you say, eh, yeah, but I'm special. And they say, but we don't do that. And we say, can I talk to your manager? And you know, long story short, you get the list. You acquire it. You have legal permission to use the list. Okay? This is not spammy stuff. This is legal permission, above board, completely legal. People who opted in know that their information may be sold or traded. 
right? Or shared with other vendors. Like there is an acknowledgement from the opt-in that this is legal and legitimate. Okay, so you have this list. Somehow your client has in their possession a list of, let's just say for simplicity, 50,000 email addresses. What do you do with it? I'll tell you what most people will do. They'll go to MailChimp and they'll go to like the list button and then they'll hit import and then they'll import the CSV and then they'll map their field. So first name goes to F name and email goes to email and then they hit import and um, then they send an email that says, hey, it was great meeting you at the conference or thanks so much for signing up to this course that we did in partnership with this other company. Uh, Now buy my stuff. And what happens is those recipients are not thrilled that you're emailing them. They don't remember you. They went to that conference, but they never came to your booth, or they bought that course from that company, but kind of forget that you're the foundation or the company or the um, organization behind uh, half of that product. Whatever it was, they're not thrilled that you're in the inbox. So they just click on that little stop sign on their um, email, and it says spam. Report spam. So they report spam, or they unsubscribe and report spam, or they just unsubscribe. And your email account gets in deep, deep trouble. Gets in significant trouble. So maybe your client has been working, let's just say, with MailChimp for the last five years, and they've always done a good job of kind of low and slow getting opt-ins, and um, they have an acceptable rate of bounces and spam complaints, and everything's been fine. They've kind of been a typical kind of uh, boring customer of MailChimp. Okay. But now you took the mailing list that they had, maybe it's 30,000, and you dumped 50,000 on top of it, and you mailed everyone all at once, and you got, let's say, 600 unsubscribes and 50 spam complaints. Now, 50 out of 50,000 doesn't seem like a big deal, but I'll tell you, MailChimp is going to have a heart attack. All those monkeys are going to stop doing what they're doing. They're going to look at you, point their finger, and say, you're the bad one. So what are you going to do about it? Well, you can't do anything at that point. Uh, You're in trouble. So let's talk technologically what happens. So the first thing is MailChimp is not thrilled that you did it, and they're going to limit your ability to send email. They're going to potentially freeze your account. They're going to put you into a review status where they're going to have to do a manual review. And depending on how much you're paying, you may or may not be able to talk to anyone there. Depending on the email tool that you're using, is it MailChimp, is it something else? Um, They may have customer support for you. They may not. So you would have to escalate to customer support, which might mean you have to upgrade um, and pay more. (laughs) And that's not even talking about you sending 50,000 emails once, and then maybe it's like a multi-part campaign, and you're going to actually send over the course of a week 200,000 emails, meaning you're only sending four emails out per person, but you're sending it to 50,000 people. Oh my gosh, that's 200,000 emails. You've never sent 200,000 emails in a year, let alone in a week, right? All sorts of flags are happening. So you're in trouble. MailChimp is going to stop you from sending email. Also, the inboxes, um, let's say like Gmail as an inbox, all the Gmail recipients, Gmail is going to look and say, oh, we just received, you know, out of the 50,000, 10,000 went to Gmail inboxes. And of those, we had um, 100 spam complaints. Gmail is going to start limiting your domain's ability to get inboxed, meaning your domain, your client's domain, this email domain that they've used forever, 
is not going to be accepted by Gmail because Gmail says, ooh, that's a spammer's um, domain. Oof. Oof. If you use like Google Workspaces for the organization, what you may find is that you can no longer send emails intra-company, meaning I can't, you know, um, uh, two employees that work for your client with the same domain uh, in their email address, like at companyname.com, would no longer be able to send emails to each other because it could be flagged as spam, despite them being both paid accounts on Google Workspaces. How do I know? Well... <laughs> Because I did it, and I couldn't email my assistant. Um, it was it was it was a bad day, and it took a long time to get out from under that. It took, I mean, realistically, two months. Um, you know, we had some resolution over the course of the next few weeks, but like it's 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 embarrassing at a minimum. But really, the the pain of it is, it's like your customer-facing communication, your one-to-one communication, your emails to your spouse from your work account are getting sent to the spam folder. That's just not good for anybody. It's terrible for optics. And if you're the CMO in charge, right, the fractional CMO, um, it's just not good, right? It just looks really, really bad. Uh, Additionally, you can get on um, what is traditionally known as blacklists and if you want to see how to check your blacklist, if you're on a blacklist for a domain, I like the tool mxtoolbox.com. You just type in your domain name at mxtoolbox.com, and then after you search the MX records, you can click the drop down and choose blacklist. Um, the more PC term these days is blocklist. It's not fully adopted, but I think you know you should be a leader here in, in equality and um, equity, and you know. Block list is, is just a, a better term for that. So you want to see if the domain is being blocked, and you might be on a block list. I'll tell you that there's a block list that, that exists if your domain is brand new, too. So sometimes there's a block list from being naughty, which means mailing people and getting too many unsubscribes and too many spam complaints. And then there's a block list just because your domain is new, and that is kind of the antic of a spammer, which is to buy a new domain name and then set up their email cannon and shoot emails out. So uh, that one has a really great name. It's called Semfresh. You think that's not a great name, but Sem stands for uh, Spam Eating Monkey. Yeah, take a take a peek at that um, Wikipedia entry if if uh, if you want to fall asleep. But uh, Semfresh is the block list that a domain can get on if it's a super fresh domain and you mail it. All right, so. So what are you to do in this situation? What are you to do if your client has a list of 50,000 legal opt-in emails? Well, I'll walk you through exactly what to do. Um, And heed this advice and also think critically because what I'm gonna tell you is what's working right now. And this could change. And it also might not be, um, uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't know why it wouldn't be legal, but you know, you have to bear the responsibility for the the legal implications of sending email. GDPR and CAN spam are the two big regulations that you have to be cautious of. If you're in the U.S. or mailing to folks in the U.S., CAN spam, C-A-N-S-P-A-M. It's really important to understand. And then the second one is um, GDPR, and that's for our folks over in the European Union, I think. So you got to know about those things. Just check them out. Um, just look at can spam compliant, GDPR compliant. Okay. So what do you do in all of this? Well, the first thing that you should do is if you have a big mailing list is you should start just considering that you have maybe what we can call our green light uh, email service and then our yellow light email service. 
Green light means everyone that's in is like ecstatic and happy to be on. And yellow light is for people who actually said that they wanted to be on but might have forgotten it or, um, you know, have a higher likelihood of unsubscribing or hitting the spam button. All right. So those are your two. Your green light is the one that you've been using forever. Your client's been using forever. In this case, it's their main domain and it is their MailChimp account. We don't want to get that shut down. We don't want those emails to uh, get spam complaints and go into the spam folder. So we need to build a whole new domain and a whole new email sending tool. You need to configure that. Um, and then set a couple of um, uh, DNS records. And there's some cleanliness stuff that you have to do. So the first thing that you should do time-wise is buy a secondary domain. Just buy an email domain. What's an example of an email domain? If uh, the business name is acmecompany.com, you could do acmecompanyemail.com, acmecompany.us, acmecompany.info. Just buy another domain name. There's no change that I have understood. Uh, like, there's no difference between like a .com, .co, .us, .net, .org, .io, .whatever. Those what are known as top-level domains, TLDs. There's no difference in deliverability of those. I think they're all treated equally. I mean, someone write to me and tell me uh, if I'm wrong there, but I just haven't seen anything that shows that um, you know there's any issue with with a different TLD. So you're going to buy another domain, and that domain needs to age. Preferably, that domain ages for a while, like at least a week. So that SEMfresh list says if it's five days old or younger, it's on the SEMfresh list, and um, you look kind of spammy. So you want to register that domain name early, early, early. So if you know like, hey, we're doing this promotion and in two weeks we're going to be able to send email to these people, buy that domain today so that in two weeks it's aged enough. And then for simplicity, I would set a 301 redirect in your DNS for that domain. Let's call it acmecompanyemail.com. Set a 301 redirect to redirect to the main company website, acmecompany.com. And if you're a savvy marketer, you might slide a couple UTMs in there. For example, UTM underscore source equals uh, the name of the domain. So I would say acmecompanyemail.com. Ampersand, UTM underscore medium equals redirect. That way you're just tracking where these folks come to your website from. This helps you know, kind of normalize all your naming conventions around how traffic that you control gets to your main website. This is a big deal for you if you care about your analytics, which, you know, you should. At every intersection as the fractional CMO, you should be encouraging the use of um, intelligent naming conventions. And like those naming conventions must be followed by all. You can't use capital letters in a naming convention and lowercase letters interchangeably. There's a difference between capital Facebook and lowercase Facebook and FB. So right, you just want to normalize all that. So this is an example where you can kind of push for naming convention normalization. All right, so now you have your you have a new domain, which you just bought at, let's say, GoDaddy or Namecheap or one and one or I don't know. Maybe you like the 80s and want to go to two cows. Maybe that's the 90s. I don't know probably the 90s. Internet really wasn't an 80s thing. So you have this domain, you have a 301 redirect set, and you're letting it age a little bit. You know, you just kind of put it in the cellar and letting it get a little older. At least a week old is, is my recommendation. And then you need to um, set up an email tool. So what email tool are you going to use? There's a bunch that you can use. I like MailerLite. 
you know, the, the marketer in me likes the functionality of Mailer Light. So that's a nice tool, L-I-T-E, MailerLite.com. Um, it's a nice, it's just like a nice tool. Like when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is like MailChimp, but like a whole lot better. So MailerLite's a great tool. It could actually become the enterprise tool that your client uses long-term, potentially. Like it's, it's just a great tool. And then another nice tool to use is SendInBlue.com. Um, just use those. There's other ones that you could use. You know, you could use kind of a lot of different ones. Uh, what you want to have, though, is the ability to pay for customer support. If there's no customer support, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Um, you're going to find yourself uh, locked out of your campaign, and no one is there to help you, and you're screwed. So just make sure wherever you go, there's good support. And, like, the price makes sense. Realistically, if you have this list of 50,000 email addresses that you want to mail to, you're going to have to mail a multi-step campaign. Multiple emails have to go to them. You can't do just a, you know one shot and hope that you net everybody um, to kind of re-opt in. So instead, you want to have a you know, multi-step email campaign, meaning you're going to probably need the subscription to this email tool for at least a month, but maybe three months, and, and maybe a lot longer than that. So just consider that and, and make sure you're budgeted for it. All right, now you have your email tool, and you can configure your email tool with your domain. So you might have to set some DNS records, and I recommend you to do so. Make sure your SPF record, your DMARC, DMARC record, and your DKIM records are set up. If you don't know what that means, just Google it. Send in blue DMARC. Send in blue DKIM, send in blue SPF. Follow all the instructions. Do it all right. Um, most people don't do their DMARC record. Um, correctly and it helps with deliverability a lot so just a consideration all right now let's talk about the next step so you've got the tool to send emails and you have the domain and you have the list now you have to import the list but if you import the list right away what you're going to get is a bunch of uh, complaints from people who really don't want to be emailed so you have to or 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 worse um uh uh, a lot of bounces. So you have to clean your mailing list first. And how do you clean your mailing list? You got to take it through a tool. So a tool that I like is neverbounce.com. Neverbounce.com. A list of 50,000 will probably run you like 60 bucks or so, 75 bucks. And you just hit like the file import and then you import that CSV and then you hit the pay now and you pay the price. And then like a minute later, you get your export. And your export comes with like this in some ways, like a certification of cleanliness. So then you take that new list, which probably prunes somewhere between 5 and 25% of the list off because those were bad, never-deliverable emails, and you take that over to, let's say, Send in Blue or MailerLite, and you load it up, and you write your first email, and you get ready to send it. Okay, wow, a lot of work to get this far. You had to, you had to get the list, you had to clean the list, and then you had to import it into an email tool. And that email tool had to be configured with a domain that's at least a week old. And you had your SPF, DKIM, and DMARC records established. All right. You're almost there. Now, your first email really, really matters. If you want true opt-ins, perhaps you want people... Like, what do you want them to do in that first email? Do you want them just to buy your thing? Do you want them to schedule a call with a salesperson? Do you want them to uh, go to the website? Do you want them to opt into your primary green light email tool like MailChimp, or again, hopefully something much better than MailChimp. Um, what, do you, what is the outcome that you want? So identify that and construct a multi-part email series to get that action to happen. 
Now, a multi-part email series, to me, like the minimum is three emails. I think five emails is better, but like there's nothing wrong with 10 emails either. Um, for a rough number, I kind of always think of this stuff as like um, kind of diminishing by 50% for everything that you send. That's just uh, a metric that I keep in my head, kind of a, a heuristic. Um, so let's say you're going to send to 50,000 and the first email is going to net you 2,000 clicks and the next email is... Uh, because you're going to remove the people that clicked, will net you half that, 1,000 clicks. And the next email, 500 clicks. And the next email, 250 clicks. And the next email, 125. And the next email, 60 clicks. So you see that your clicks reduce because you're mailing and you're removing everyone who, who did the action that you wanted them to do. You never want to email someone multiple times to ask them to perform an action that they've already taken. So you're going to construct an email campaign. It's going to be multi-part. Again, minimum three emails. And if it's a big list, like put the time in it. Just consider what it costs to like, or what the value of a customer is. Probably makes sense for you to write a, a pretty lengthy email campaign. Um, I mean, shoot, do, do 10 emails, do 20 emails, do 30 emails. Spread them over the course of maybe 90 days, uh, but be really heavy up front, like daily emails up front, or even if you're super aggressive, two emails a day up front. And then once the person kind of raises their hand and does the action, remove them from that follow-up and then move them over to the green light email tool. That's really the, the secret to it. Now, the emails can't have a lot of weight to them. You want them to be thin. You want them to be lightweight. And lightweight is, is about load time, and it's about perception. So the best emails that I find to write are emails to your mother. Um, and if you don't like your mom or you don't have a mom anymore, then it's emails to someone that you do like. What are those emails like? What are those emails that you write to your friend? What's that subject line? The subject line is free on Thursday, question mark. And the b body copy is, you know, hey, Sarah, are you free on Thursday? There's a concert um, at the stadium that I'd love to go uh, to. Tickets are 15 bucks. Let me know if you're in. Thanks, Casey. Like, that's, that's the type of email that you're going to send to somebody. High readership, uh, sense of kind of personalization, um, People like receiving emails like that. They're going to get opened. They're going to get read. They're going to get replied to. That email does not, when you send it to your mom or a friend, does not have a logo at the top. And it doesn't start off, dear mother. Right? It just says, you know, mine says, yo ma. Right? What, what does yours say? Like, it's, it's, it's conversational. You might say, Casey, that's against our brand. Okay, I get that. You know, some brands are more formal. Uh, and I think that more conversational emails are going to get read at a higher rate. That's my experience. Your mileage may vary, and I encourage you to test it. But I don't want you to have a very thick, weighted down um, email with images and hyperlinks and all sorts of stuff and, you know, spam words in there like free and now and order and that kind of stuff. So you want to have an email that's clear, direct, to the point, the kind of email that you would write to someone that you loved, um, and it should never be signed by the management or the company or the marketing team. It should be signed by a person. Just sign it by a person. And if you don't have a person that works in the organization, maybe it feels okay to you to kind of invent someone's name who is like the staff person there. Maybe that feels right to you. Maybe that doesn't feel right. In that case, put someone's name on it. Put the CEO's name on it. 
I think back to like the Obama campaign and the emails that I received from it. And Barack would send me emails asking for like donations for his presidential campaign. And then his vice president, Joe Biden would. And then sometimes I get email from Barack Obama's wife, sometimes from Joe Biden's wife, sometimes from the the secretary of transportation or whomever. But they kind of like played around with the sender. And like maybe in this kind of world that we live in, emails that come from a woman get opened at a higher rate. You might find that to be true. Um, So you kind of play with some of that stuff, you know? And you send emails from that person to the recipient, and it looks like it's addressed to them. And you ask them to take a single simple action. Reminds me of like working with people. You know, you, you ever hire somebody or... You know, you hire someone for like a, a like a one-off project and you ask them two questions at once in a message and they only answer one of them and they never answer the second question. It's like their brain can't answer two questions at once. So you're like, oh God, I asked you two questions. You only answered one. What about the second one? And they kind of like have a hard time figuring it out. Treat your, your email recipients like that. Keep it super simple. Like so simple. Hey, uh, thank you so much for, um, you know, uh, Hey, following up with you after, um, uh, I think we ran into each other at this conference. Um, uh, we're hosting this webinar on Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12, 11, 10, yeah, 9 a.m. Pacific, to, uh, to talk about these things that are important to you. Click this link to register. Look forward to seeing you there, Casey. Boom, that's your email. Send that out. Doesn't have to be heavyweight, doesn't have to have a lot of like why stuff in it. If the if the call to action is valuable, people will click it. And then you're gonna start tracking things like people who click, people who opt in. You're gonna start removing everyone who opts in from future emails on that yellow light email tool. And then you're just gonna move them over to your green light email tool. That's a full opt-in. Everything's fine. So that's it. Like that's that's the trick. That's the hack. That's that's it. Um, you should have an expectation that you will get paused, you will get potentially shut down, you should have a secondary email uh, domain available, you might have to build out a you know a whole nother tool, maybe you're on Send to Blue, you get shut down, and then you have to move over to MailerLite. Like, that stuff can happen. There's also the issue where an email tool can just break, and it can be not your fault, but you should think through that. There's this stoic... Um, uh, kind of exercise of negative visualization. You stop, you think, what what could happen that would go wrong? And how do I stop it from happening? So you say, all right, well, we're going to buy this domain. Yeah, we're going to buy two domains at the same time. That way, in case one goes down, I've got a second one. Um, maybe that's, that's the right move for you. So think through critically. Also, don't expect that your first email is going to be a win. You might send that email. You got to send it at a good time. What's a good time? You know, between it, it needs to land in inboxes between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's what I think. So 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern time. Now, if you have a worldwide audience, if you're targeting people primarily in, you know, London or in Australia or West Coast or whatever, like okay, maybe you need to shift that a little bit and figure out what's best. And maybe the email tool has a send at the best time feature that you want to use. You know, that's fine. But if you're going to send just a broadcast out, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern, safe, preferably. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are your primary emails. Why? Because Mondays, everyone's got a case of the Mondays. Um, Fridays, everyone's drinking at their desk. That should be your your assumption. Um, Saturdays, everyone's out playing. And like maybe there's an interesting time to send Sunday mornings. I like that a little bit. 
Uh, it's not going to get you a great open rate, but you might get people who otherwise didn't have time to read your emails through the week and on Sunday morning, maybe before their kids get up or, you know, while their spouse is at um, their religious institution and, you know, the, this person is just like kicking it on the couch, uh, eating eating leftover pizza, then uh, they're checking their email and they might see your email. So, you know, that's a potential time too. But, um, excuse the analogy, but gun to my head, if I had to send an email that got the best open rates, I would send it between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. That's what I would do. I actually learned that from uh, Gary Bensavenga and Ted Nicholas, two incredible direct response copywriters who said that they want to see direct mail land Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's the best time for physical direct mail to land. And I just found that to actually be a great um, carryover to email. Those are just great times for it. There's different niches and some niches you want to mail twice a day and in the morning and at night. And there's like some psychology behind that. Cool. I get it. But like for most businesses, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's, that's it. Those are the times. All right. So then you're going to be sending emails. Um, like I said, your expectation should be that your account could get shut down. It's, it's likely to happen. You should just anticipate that it'll happen and you need to plan for it. So if you're going to do a promotion to a free event, let's say a webinar after a conference to this list of 50,000, you should probably start emailing it 10 days before the webinar. Why 10? Because a week is a good timeline to do it normally. You know, a week is, is good. Some people might say 14 days. You know, that's cool too if you want to do it a little longer. But like minimum 10 days because you're going to probably blow your first three days on getting that first email sent. You're going to schedule it to send and everything's going to kind of come together last minute. You're going to finally get it out at like 3.15 Eastern, right? On like, let's say a Thursday. And then the email might take four or five or six or eight hours to actually send completely because the email tool is going to send to the first thousand and that's going to chill and wait and see what happens. And it's going to send to the next thousand, chill and wait. And if there's going to be an, if they identify an issue with unsubscribe or spam, it's going to halt the whole campaign. So you might not get the first email out in totality the first day. You might only get two or 3,000 cents. Then you got to get on with support and be like, hey, I, this is legitimate. Here's proof of the opt-in. Here's proof of the email from the conference that said that, uh, he, you know, I bought the list and here's the terms and conditions on their website that state that they can share this with uh, vendors and marketing partners and yada, yada, yada. Um, you have to kind of have the proof for that. So uh, email is not easy these days. It seems like this panacea that you can just go get a 50,000 person list and mail it, but it's work. It's hard. And if you do it wrong, you're going to burn your mailing address, you know, that domain. Um, there's going to be some significant long-term effects from that. And those long-term effects could persist for weeks or months uh, where email's not getting delivered. You want to be able to have this, you know, yellow light email domain and tool that you can just burn if you got to burn it. Just burn it straight to the ground if you got to. And... Um, uh, keep your primary stuff moving. You know, it's nice to have these email lists. It's nice to be able to reach out. It's nice to be able to book appointments or make sales from it or get interest or get white papers re requested or whatever. Uh, one other cool trick here is in your emails, ask people to reply. When they reply to your emails, you know, an example is um, you would say in your email, uh, your second email, hey, we've been having some weird stuff happening with our email. Can you just reply and let me know that you got this? It'd be really helpful. That little quote-unquote trick will actually tell the um, inboxes, let's say in this example, all the Gmail inboxes, you know, if they receive 10,000 emails 
you know, an email to 10,000 recipients that have Gmail inboxes. And let's say 100 people replied back with a custom message that said, yep, I got it. Yep, I got it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I got it. And I registered. See you soon. If they get a bunch of those emails back, it looks like a really good campaign. It looks like you sent 10,000 emails and it got opened and it got read and people replied. So you're not a spammer. So you want to just kind of bake in these, these ways to be real. If you're like most if your client is like most companies, it's going to be like a super, um, you know, antiseptic, boring uh, email, like to whom it may concern type email. And those don't get replies and they don't get clicks. And frankly, like, it's just annoying to receive them. So have a little pizzazz, have a little um, emotion in your emails. They don't have to be like Wendy's, right? Like Wendy's Twitter. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Twitter and look up Wendy's the hamburger restaurant in uh, the United States and just see them like they're super sassy. They're funny. Uh, I think of like when IHOP named their, like renamed themselves IHOB international house of burgers. It's kind of a marketing ploy. Wendy's tweeted something like, uh, I wouldn't trust the burgers from a place that couldn't even do pancakes. Well, you know, like they're funny. They have their own sass. I like that. You don't need to be that sassy, but you just need to be real. You need to be a person. Um, be, I don't know, just like make, your email has to be incredibly valuable or like reasonably valuable and entertaining. I mean, you should probably do like a mix of the two. Value is important, but if it's just value and it's just like super boring, I don't get excited to read it. Um, there's a crypto uh, newsletter that I, that I love. And, uh, you know, I'm like tangentially interested in the crypto market. And I don't read everyone that comes in, um, but it's called The Milk Road. It's like Silk Road, but it's Milk Road. And it's just goofy. It's really good information, and it's all the stuff about SEC regulation and the markets and the fear and greed index and, um, you know, the latest hack that happened and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just find it fascinating to read. But they write it in such a way that is just, just like, I love it. It's funny. It's uh, entertaining. And it's not like slap your leg funny, but you kind of read it and you're like, wow, I just learned a ton about a very difficult and complex subject. And I learned it in a way that I enjoyed. So consider that when you write your emails, have some pizzazz, have some, some energy in it that like makes me want to read it. Yeah. I just, I just don't want to read boring emails. Just life's too short to do that. Even if the information in it's great and it's, people are kind of uh, tone policing their emails. If they don't like the tone of it, they're just not going to read it. So it's a lot. So if a client ever says to you, hey, we're going to go get this list of 50,000 emails, you need to say, oh, shit. All right. Well, we got we to gotta build a laboratory to be able to mail these people. And then we have to monitor it. And um, the last thing that I want you to think of here is, is I want you to predict. At all major decisions, I want you to predict. I want you to be able to predict the future accurately. And right now, you're probably no good at it. Every time you have an opportunity to predict, I want you to write down your prediction, and then I want you to do a retro after the thing has occurred and the outcome has um, you know, come to fruition. And then I want you to look and see how your prediction was. This isn't about being right or wrong. This is about getting better every single time. So you say, we've got 50,000 people. We're going to do this thing. Okay, I listened to Casey's audio. I researched DKIM, DMARC, SPF records. Got the domain. Going to go with MailerLite. Going to never bounce it. Okay, cool. I think we're going to send four emails over the course of the next week. And I think of the 50,000, we're going to get 3,000 people to get to the other side. 3,000 people to sign up. And of those signups, I think we're going to get a 50% attend rate. So I think we'll send 50,000 emails and get 1,500 on the webinar. 
host the webinar. Get all the way to the end and see how many you got. What'd you get? 300? 200? 100? 500? 6,000? What was your number? And then just see where you were wrong. And that, you know, that, that wrongness is your ability, like it's your, is your focus point on your improvement. Where can you improve your prediction? And it's a game. Um, uh, I ran this, uh, when I was leading a team, we were doing a webinar and, uh, I said, here are the previous stats. Here they are for, uh, RSVPs, um, and attends for the last few webinars. Um, this is how many RSVPs we have right now. The webinar is, you know, in five hours, you guys have the next hour to predict how many attendees we're going to have. Total attendees, you're going to predict it. If you predict over, you lose. The person closest and under or right on wins. And what do they win? And like, I like to have some fun. So I just threw a $25 gift card out. And it was a $25 Amazon gift card or a $25 Applebee's gift card. And then, um, you know, someone inevitably won it. And it was fun because some people were like totally wrong. They were like, we're going to get 3,000 attendees. And it's like, how did you get that? The last few webinars had 500 attendees. Like... Are you paying attention? Um, so in some ways, it helps people kind of get aligned to the outcome that everyone should be focused on, which is attendees, people sticking around to a pitch, right? And ultimately sales. So that's really helpful. And then also we like played this game where um, it was like Amazon or Applebee's and then no one ever took the Applebee's. So it was always a $25 gift card to Amazon, but the Applebee's gift card grew in value. The next time we did a webinar, it was a $30 Applebee's or a 25 Amazon. Next one, 35 Applebee's, 25 Amazon, $40 Applebee's, 25 Amazon. And like no one wanted the Applebee's. But at some point, that Applebee's got, gift card got up to like 75 bucks. And someone was like, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm going to go to Applebee's and have some of those bottomless margaritas. And then that's just funny. It's like a team building activity. Um, there's, this, there's this thing that we want to do in business, which is like get people to be accountable to outcomes. And like you can tell people, you must be accountable to this or you'll get fired, right? That's kind of like the top-down approach. But like you could also just have people get into it just by um, having fun and just like having this encouraging game almost that you're playing. Hey, we're going to play this game. Like you are going to better understand everything this way. And um, a $25 Amazon gift card, honestly, I think goes a very long way. It's a fun hack for people. Um, to, to get them interested. Um, you know, like everyone wants a $25 Amazon gift card. It's just kind of the perfect gift. Uh, easy to buy too. You can just buy them online and send them the code for it. Super fun. All right. So that's it. That's email. That's how you send an email. If you skip any, any of these tips along the way, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to go to jail and that jail might be the inability to send email for a while or, uh, all your emails going to spam or the whole list, you know, um, not receiving the email or, or whatever. Um, maybe you're going to wait till the last minute to send everything and the email just won't go out. It's just choked at the send point and you're not able to get it delivered and you're screwed. And that whole campaign was a waste and everyone wasted their time and then they get frustrated and then they don't feel appreciated and they feel like everything that they do doesn't have the outcome that they want, right? You do not want these things to happen. So think ahead, be the leader and delegate everything except leadership. That is the secret of the fractional CMO. Delegate everything except leadership. So know what needs to happen and then delegate the outcomes to other people. You should not be the one setting up these email campaigns, but you should get this and you should even hand this audio to your direct report and be like, hey, listen to this, this Casey guy, he's pretty good. Um, 
and just don't listen to the last few seconds where I'm telling you to tell them that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, if you want to learn more about how I can help you and how my team can help you uh, build a practice as a fractional CMO where you can make half a million dollars a year or more serving just a couple clients, um, I'd love to help you. So the basic idea is as a fractional CMO, you're acting as the chief marketing officer for multiple clients and you're leading them on what they need leadership on. It's a ton of fun. You get to lead these teams. A bunch of people will do the work for you. You might have to hire them and uh, ensure that they're you know, focusing on the biggest problems. Um, that's, that's, that's the role. But you're not the hammer swinger. So if you're an agency owner and you want to get out of the agency life because it's kind of a noise machine and maybe your top line numbers look good, but your profit, your EBITDA kind of sucks um, because that's kind of the game these days with agencies, you know, maybe being a fractional CMO is your fastest way to build a 1% or income. Um, you know, alternatively, uh, you might be like a tactician, like a copywriter or a funnel builder or a um, media buyer. And you're just kind of done doing all this stuff for other people, doing all the tactical stuff, getting your hands uh, dirty all the time, always getting inside, you know, getting on intercom and chatting with the help desk at Active Campaign or Infusionsoft or Salesforce or whatever and like figuring all this stuff out. And instead, you just want like someone else to do that because, you know, you could direct them. And you want to elevate to the problem-solving role of the chief marketing officer. But in this you know, environment, in this economy, you don't want to trust just one company to pay your bill. You want multiple companies. So you give them what they need as a chief marketing officer. Right? They want that leadership, but they don't need you necessarily 40 hours a week. They might only need you 10 hours a week or even less. So you pick up a couple clients like that. You have more control over your income. I mean, I think you have complete control over your income. Um, you have control over your time. We have a member, I was just chatting with him yesterday, and he said that he set up a new boundary that when his kid comes home from school at like 3.15, 3.20, he's hanging out with him. Like, he's not working. He's hanging out with his kid, who he misses, because he's a little kid. And like, that's the time that you never get back. Like, that's what you can do as a fractional CMO. You can own your day. You can deliver incredible results for your clients. I mean, just think about this. You just solved this one problem of how to mail an email list. You just helped your client not get their main email account frozen and get screwed by all the stuff that can happen if they screw that up. Huge problem that you solved. And in many ways, you could just kind of say, oof, that was it, guys. That was my one big thing for the week. All right, I'll have another cool thing to do next week for you. Um, it's, uh, it's just a fun place to be. So if that's interesting, just book a call with my team cmox.co slash call. That's cmox.co slash call. And if you made it to the end of this incredibly long podcast episode, I want to say thank you. I appreciate you. And I hope to talk to you soon. See ya. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information and episodes, visit our site at fractionalcmoshow.com. Go ahead and punch that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot, at least to my mom.